It goes A's for ambition, be what I wanna be. See past the situation that's in front of me. Doubt is an enemy, Zep, we say fuck them. The irony is they inspire me to love them. G is past go when ignite the cash flow when eights is put your- Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, and the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories. True stories. Personal stories. Grit stories. We are still in season number three, dedicated to grit talks and the best of. And today, we have got two stories from 7 by 7 Not surprisingly, both of these stories are around seven minutes. The first one is by Sue Huggins. Sue lives up in Connecticut. And the second by Mark Madral. Mark resides in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I hope you enjoy both of these stories, and I hope you take something from them and apply it to your own craft. Check out the show notes for upcoming events, including the 99-second Story Slam, always a lot of fun. And of course, if you'd like to support the podcast, there's several ways to do that, including rating and reviewing it on Apple. It does help people find it, and we want more people to find it. Thanks for that. Okay, Sue and Mark, let's dive in. It's January 1989. I'm 47 years old. And I have just arrived in Florida at Sunhaven, which is a 30-day treatment center for alcoholics and adult children of alcoholics. I don't drink, but both of my parents were alcoholics, and I'm a wreck. I'm depressed. I'm lonely. I'm mad. So many emotions. Mostly, I'm ashamed about the job I just lost. If I'd only trusted my judgment and stood up for myself, I might still be in that job. I'm checking myself into Sunhaven because otherwise I know I'd crack up. I arrive Saturday late afternoon um, and I am introduced to Lizzie, a 16 year old girl who's going to be my roommate. Lizzie takes me around, introduces me to everybody, shows me the different rooms in the unit and make sure to tell me all the rules. Lizzie tells me that I am her third roommate in two weeks because the other two had to leave for breaking rules. I laugh, I say, you don't have to worry about me. I am the good girl. I just, just tell me what the rules are and I'll obey. After supper, we all meet in the big meeting room, the 30 of us with Kit, who is the night counselor. I walk in with a cup of tea and Kit immediately tells me no drinks are allowed in the meeting. So I quick get rid of that. Then she starts the meeting with a chant that she just loves. It's her favorite chant and she has everybody say, no fuck or shit except for Kit. Okay, a little strange. The next day, Sunday, uh, there's no therapy. Therapists don't work, so they take us on a field trip to a touristy mall and an art museum. That evening, we're back with Kit in the meeting room. I walk in, take my seat near Kit, and I see that she's looking at me kind of oddly. And after a while, she says to me, Susan, what did I tell you 
about bringing drinks into the room. <gasps> oh, I'm sorry, I forgot, excuse me. I go to get up, get rid of the cup, and she says, sit back down, put the cup on the floor. You forgot? I doubt that. I think you brought that cup into the room just to show me that I'm not the boss. Isn't that right? No, I'm sorry. I don't do that. I doubt that. You don't like rules, do you? I don't have any problem with rules. That's a lie. What about last night? You read magazines in your room against the rules. Well, yeah, the night nurse said I could read them last night, but then I would have to put them away for the rest of the time. That's a lie. Lizzie said you were told to put those books away immediately. No, that's not true. Still lying. We can't help you if you won't own up to your fatal flaws. Group, I want each one of you to tell Sue what you think about her. Jerry, we'll start with you. I immediately fall into the numb, which is something, a tool I learned as an incest survivor. I freeze all of my feelings and I wipe all emotion off my face. And I step back inside and I watch and try to figure out what I can do to make myself safe. They start one by one telling me either things that Kit has already said or things like preaching to me that I'll be safe if I will only admit to my flaws. This is awful. This is embarrassing. This is frightening. This is abuse. I know that. But I also notice every single one of them has this look on their face, almost apologetic. They're like in a haze. And I realize they're afraid of Kit. They're afraid of what she'll do to them if they don't say what she wants to hear. And I know something else. This is how Lizzie gets rid of her roommate. Well, I give them no response. I stay in the numb. When every single one of them is spoken, Kit just goes on with the meeting. And for the rest of the meeting and the rest of that night, I am going round and round in my head. I think that was abuse. I think I should leave. But maybe, maybe I should have, I need to know what they've said to me. Maybe I'm all wrong and I need to stay here. It just drives me crazy. But by the morning, I decide, okay, that was abuse. I should leave. But I don't trust my own judgment still. I want one other human being to agree with me. So I go to the nurse and I ask if I can speak to the psychiatrist. And she says, I don't think she'll see you, but I'll ask. Okay, I'll wait in my room. When I get to my room, I get down on my knees and I start praying, dear God, dear God, I am so confused. I don't know if I'm right and this is abuse and I should leave or maybe I should stay because I needed to hear those things. I need another human being to agree with me. Please make the psychiatrist see me. And then I get a strong but gentle thought in my brain. 
I know it's not coming from my mind. I know it's a message. I get messages sometimes when I'm praying. And this message is, you don't need one other person to agree with you. You know you're right and you should leave. I jump up and I run to the nurse's station and she's waiting for me. And she says, the psychiatrist won't see you. And I say, that's okay. I've decided I'm leaving. You better not. You you try to I want to come back later. We won't let you back in. That's okay. <laughs> I won't be back. I sail back down to my room, pack and leave. That was the day that I started to truly trust my own judgment and stand up for myself. Sunhaven had to close its doors sometime in the next two years because of all the lawsuits they had over how they treated their patients. I learned and grew from the behavior, the nasty behavior that they gave me. And I'm happy. They're closed. I hope Kit has learned the lesson too. Tell us what you mean. Like, are you one of them good guys or you one of us fiends? Either way, you gotta eat. Uh huh. Elevate your mind, right? Cause that is for the fine life. And that's how you define life. But I say, Jesus, get back to your home. And H is helping people that didn't help to along. Oh, yeah, fuck it. We go back to F cause that's for freedom. Jesus, keep your good thoughts. Cause, buddy, you gon' need them. And H is if your hood stars. Buddy, you gon' feed them. J is for them jump offs. We wanted his kids. Looking through the glass, seeing the life we wanna live in. And it's more money, more problems, and N-O is no peas, and that's pessimistic profits, Q, quit thinking So I rented a car at the San Jose airport and drove straight to Monterey, to the hospital, to the ICU. We were nine, ten months into my mom's terminal decline. Everybody knew it but her. This was not the only drop-everything-fly-to-California trip that year. But this one was different. My mom was on her way to see her doctor, and some asshole in a dump truck lost his brakes on a mountain grade and flattened her car. So now on top of emphysema, she had a dozen broken bones, and her right forearm had been degloved. For those who aren't up on ER slang, degloving is when your skin and your muscles are just peeled back from your bones like a glove. And she was in a coma. I volunteered to stay with her overnight so that my brother and my sister could go get some rest. And I went in and I was thinking, I'm running out of time, running out of time for a terms of endearment moment. You know, when someone's dying, everybody gets everything off their chest. They apologize. They forgive. To be honest, I thought I was owed. My parents split up when I was 12, going on 13. My dad took me aside specifically to say that he had been waiting four years for me to get old enough for him just to walk out. And my mom just lost it. Most evening for years, she just drank herself to sleep. And the nights before she passed out, occasionally there would be the tirades, drunken tirades, the occasional smash fests where she just, anything that was at hand, we lost several sets of dishes that way. And I'd wait for her to pass out so I could sweep it up. And then there was the manic shit. That first Christmas, she insisted that we were all going to go skiing in Switzerland. But just when we got there, she flips out and just leaves us. 
I get sick. I spend the entire vacation in bed. My sister put up with it for about a year, and then she dropped out of school and ran away. That left me as the suicide watch, the scapegoat. My dad tried to stick me in a boarding school, but I was convinced that was just to break my mom in court. The next Christmas, my brother and sister, they said they weren't going to fall for that shit again. They refused to come home. So my mom and I went to Florida, and it rained the entire goddamn time. We just sat in the hotel room with my mom screaming, admit it, you hate me, just let me die already. It took three years for the divorce to be final. And my mom immediately moved to California. It was like as far away as she could get from my dad without requiring a passport. And I thought about staying in Illinois. I really did, because kids hate change. You know that. But my newly official stepmother took me aside and said, you're such a mama's boy. I know you're going to go to California. And that was the last. I was like, there was no way I was going to be living with that bitch. So I moved to California. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. And for years, we had the monthly tirade with my mom screaming at me about, being an inhuman monster, just like your father. I never told her. I thought I wanted to tell her. One of those tirades, she was on one side of the door, screaming. And I was on the other, trying to decide if Comet or my trombone cleaning fluid would be less painful. Another time, my mom had one of these smash fests. She did everything in the refrigerator. And it was like a fucking Warhol picture with food and broken glass everywhere. That one I left, that was where I drew the line. I just walked out. By day, everybody loved my mom. I told my first girlfriend some of this and her reaction was, I wish you hadn't told me. Just before the start of senior year, I got a call from my stepmother and she said, your mom's making obscene phone calls at 3 a.m. If you don't stop it, I'm calling the police. And I dug the phone bill out of the garbage. And yeah, it was true. I mean, back then they itemized every long distance call. And I said, Mom, this has got to stop. You know, Gretchen, she will press charges. It's been five years. In the tirade that followed, the word traitor got used a lot and monster. And it ended with get the hell out and never come back. After high school, I moved to Anchorage, college in New Hampshire. None of that was an accident. So yeah, I felt I was owed a goddamn terms of endearment moment. My brother spelled me the next morning, and I drove out to the house, and I spent the whole day mending her fences. I sistered the sections that had fallen in, took the back gate down, and completely rebuilt it because it was a mess. And we never had that talk. 2 a.m., dark hospital room. Nothing but the whoosh of the respirator. It hit me. Terms of endearment is a lie. If she woke up, she had bigger problems. And besides, people rarely agree on who did what to who anyway. In the dark of that hospital room, that's when I learned that forgiveness, real forgiveness, that's something you have to swallow. And all you still with me in S is dressless and T is to infinity. You is that it's all about you, and that's why an X is this exam. But why lie? You got zip if you ain't got fam, and that's the alphabet.
As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Sue up in Connecticut and Mark in Massachusetts. Thank you both for your stories. Check out the show notes for this Sunday's event, which is the 99-second story slam. We are in season six, slam number three. They're always a lot of fun, whether you want to join us to tell a story or watch or both. Check it out. And of course, every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, we have an open swap shop. That's a place to get feedback and at some point also give feedback on these kinds of stories if you want to improve your craft. You are welcome to join us. And that is all for episode number 83. Boom.